Welcome to episode 19 of the Podium Runner Endurance Podcast. On the show, I talk to athletes, coaches, and sports scientists about their experiences and advice. Thanks for listening, and I'm your host, Ian Sharman, head coach at Sharman Ultra and a professional ultra runner. This will be one of the last shows, but I'll be rounding things off with a Q&A with myself about any training and racing topics you want to hear about. So send me your questions via shamanultra.com or via my social media, which is under the handle at Charmanian. This episode, we're talking to Hilary Allen, who's an endurance athlete and coach specializing in mountain ultramarathons, where she's earned the nickname Hilly Goat. She started running in 2011 and comes from a background of high-level athletics, playing tennis in college. She's won and podiumed at many races around the world and is probably best known for her serious injury from a near-fatal fall at a race in Norway in 2017 and her return to racing afterwards, documented in the book Out and Back, A Runner's Story of Survival Against All Odds. She also has a master's in neuroscience and physiology and structure biology and co-hosts the Trail Society podcast. So today we're talking about returning from injury or returning from a longer break from running, we discuss Hillary's accent, accident at the Tromso Sky Race in 2017 and the resulting months of, of how she came back from that, how she focused on physical rehab despite seemingly minimal gains much of the time, uh, her mental approach to recovery and how she's grown as a runner, including returning to that same race to compete two years later, and also what she's learned from everything and how that affects her approach to running and coaching now. Let's get into it. Welcome to the show. Um, I know you're headed out for another race soon at the uh, Madeira Island Ultra Trail. So you're back to racing at the top level again, which is great to see. Um, your return from injury is both inspiring and very instructive, I think, for the people listening. So I want to talk more about the physical and the mental return from that injury. Um, so first of all, how's it going today? Yeah, it's going great. Uh, nice to talk to you. And yeah, I'm I'm thrilled um, to be back racing. It's something I truly love. Uh, but of course, as uh, I think we'll get into today, it doesn't, it might seem easy. It might seem like, oh, wow, she's already back, you know, racing and training a bunch. But um, there's a lot of work that happens um, between the point of injury and throughout recovery. And yeah, so I hope we can kind of get more of an insight into that today. Well, having read the book, uh, it definitely doesn't seem easy at all. Uh, I think every runner, well, every runner in the world has had an injury at some point. I, I can't think of anyone who hasn't, but uh, yours was obviously much more severe than that and, and took a lot longer. But still, it is amazing that you can come back to such a degree and, and relatively soon. So why don't we start at the, the first part of that? So it was the Tromso Sky Race back in 2017. Uh, so that was what, August was it back then? So we're looking at uh, four years ago now, but... Um, Tell us a little bit about um, where you were in your running career at that point, first of all. Yeah, so my style of running, um, I mean, it kind of goes back a little bit. Um, I was on the Skyrunning World Series um, kind of circuit. And so um, what is Skyrunning, right? Um, so this is a, it's a niche in um, trail running. There's a huge variety of types of trail running. Um, it can be, you know, most of them, you know, ultra distance trail running. It can even be short distance trail running to like multi-day, you know, stages of like super long distance trail running. But for me, um, I kind of found my niche in this thing called sky running, which it was ultra distance trail running. So 50 Ks and above. Um, but it's more technical. So sky running is this thing where in a typical race about, you know, 50 kilometers, you would gain anywhere, um, you know, from three to 4,000 meters as a minimum. So that's about, 
anything around definitely over 10,000 feet. So around 11,000 feet to um, as many as 14,000 feet in a, you know, 31 to 35 mile race. Um, so I had kind of discovered this style of running um, by accident. I, I had a, I had kind of a talent for the uphill running. I really liked the challenge of the downhill running. Um, but, you know, the, the steeper the trail gets, the more technical it usually gets. And so um, a lot of these races are located around the world, but mostly in Europe because there's a lot of vertical relief there. Um, and so I had kind of dedicated my uh, trail running career and my um, – my race season um, kind of concentrated in this period of kind of, you know, between May and, you know, September of racing um, these different types of sky races all over Europe, um, you know, from five to six races in this period of three to four months. Um, and so I had kind of packed my bags and I had been living in Europe for the summer. Um, I had been doing that in 2015 when I first was on this World Sky Running Series. Um, and that first year I was actually ranked fifth in the world. Um, and so it was like, hmm, okay, like, so now what can I really accomplish? And 2016, I did the series again. Of course, they consisted of different races, um, but the same style. I was, you know, living out of my suitcase, going from race to race, um, and I managed to place uh, to second in the series. Um, and uh, so 2017, I had my sights set on first. Um, and Actually, so this was in, like you mentioned, August. Um, this is Trump's, the Trumso Sky Race, um, this kind of finale race. It's this pinnacle race. Uh, Killian Journey and Emily Forsberg, uh, they designed, they were the original race directors and um, they designed the course. And it's, uh, you know, just notoriously technical, crazy vertical terrain. It's a 37 mile race and it gains over 15,000 feet. Um, and it's actually over just two, well, three climbs. So it's pretty intense. Um, and um, at this point in, the, in my season, I was ranked number one in the world uh, in that sky running series. And I came into the Trumso Sky Race, um, you know, as kind of the, a poor performance at this race wasn't going to, you know, completely knocked me off the podium. This was kind of like a celebratory race. Um, I actually had one more race planned in the season and that was, um, you know, kind of my bread and butter race. And so, uh, this was kind of like a, you know, just an enjoyment race. Um, really wanted to see Norway and I was racing really well. I was probably at, you know, the peak of my athletic performance. I, um, was just coming off of a, of a win, uh, one of my, at one of the sky, uh, the world series, sky running series races. Um, and then, you know, my, everything changed. I think, um, you know, people have the, these moments in their lives, whether it's in an athletic career or, you know, in their personal lives where, um, one moment kind of defines them and it, it shifts, you know, your life is different after this point. And, um, that's what Trumso was for me, both both personally and in my athletic career. So what happened exactly during that race? Yeah, so, um, well, the unexpected. Um, I was, so like I said, I was feeling really strong. Um, 
I wasn't feeling any pressure to, to race well, or, you know, I've never been a runner who takes a bunch of risks. Um, I've always been very calculated and, um, you know, that's something that's been important to me, especially when you're going into technical mountain terrain, no matter if it's a training run or during a race. Um, I always take care. I never, I never was someone who was just going to like go crazy on the downhill or, you know, just take these unnecessary risks just because it was a race. I always had prioritized my own safety, but, um, you know, I think going into the mountains, there's a certain amount of risk that you accept, right? It's kind of a, this, this idea of, um, high consequence, low probability. So every time you go out into the mountains, there's, you know, there's a high consequence of something going wrong. Like if you fall and you're out there and you don't have cell service and, you know, you, you break your leg or, you know, something like that. It's extremely low probability of that happening, but it's very high consequence, you know? And so that's basically what happened to me. And I think, um, it's just a numbers game. The more that you go out in the mountains and go in these technical places, um, you know, something can happen. And for me, it was lucky um, that it was during a race, but I was basically on the midway point of this um, run. Uh, it was on this ridge called Humperrockin Ridge. It's, it's this iconic uh, ridge um, like that you can see from Trumso where the race starts. And um, it's this granite jaggedy peak, but this incredible ridge line that leads all the way to the summit of Humperrockin Ridge. And um, it's notoriously wet in Norway. And so I think that leads to a little instability in, um, you know, the rocks and a, and a ridgeline, especially if you're on a ridgeline. Um, it's not vertical terrain either. It's something that I'm very comfortable with, you know, fourth class terrain, third, fourth class, where you're kind of like, you know, using your hands to stabilize yourself. Um, you're not really running, you're kind of in a more like super like speed hike mode. Um, and I was making my way to the summit and one minute I was, you know, running, hiking. And the next minute I was airborne and I don't really have that moment of like, Oh shit, I'm falling. You know, like sometimes you, you realize you're like, you can catch yourself and brace yourself. But for me, it was just so instantaneous. Um, and it was one minute I was, I was running and the next, my, the horizon was upside down and, um, the best for, from kind of eyewitnesses that saw it happen, um, and some photographers that were on the course, they said that they saw a rock fall, like as I was falling. So I think I hit a rock, um, it gave way underneath my foot. And then it was kind of at this point where you don't want to fall and, um, I couldn't brace myself. And I, um, in total, I fell 150 feet, um, in like impacting the mountain about, you know, five or six times. Um, and at that moment, it, the world just slowed down. I mean, I, I knew immediately that I was falling. Um, and it was just so weird. I remember my voice, um, kind of calmly stating to myself, like Hillary, this, this is it. You're dying like brace yourself for impact. And that was kind of on repeat until I lost consciousness somewhere along the way. And um, the next thing I remembered was waking up and um, this man's face was like next to mine. Um, and then kind of the whole rescue operation started happening. And so it took uh, quite a lot of effort even just to get you out of Norway and to be able to get you home because of the severity of those injuries. I mean, I have to admit, reading in the book is like, I can't believe 
Well, I can just about believe you're alive, but certainly not running again and other things. And, and I believe you were told that you probably wouldn't run again in the early stages. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, the, falling that far, I mean, I'm still amazed that I didn't die um, because I've known people who've fallen 20 feet and, you know, broke their neck. And um, so it was incredible that I was alive, but I had 14 different broken bones, um, you know, both wrists. I had broken my back in two places. I broke five ribs. I broke both of my feet. And in fact, like, you know, my, I had twisted my ankle severely and people say like, oh, that's nothing bad. But like, it was horrible. Like my, my feet were tomahawking so fast, like away from my body that both of my shoes felt like flew off of my feet. Um, and you know, that's after tying them, like, you know, like you're racing. So, you know, you tied them pretty tightly. Um, and so I was actually in the hospital in Norway for about, um, two weeks before I was, you know, strong enough to fly home. Um, and actually the doctors didn't recommend it. Um, but like I, I had to, you know, I couldn't like stay there for forever. And, it was, it was, we had to, the North face was, 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 um, super helpful. Like my athlete manager at the time, she actually, they had a private jet fly out from Geneva to come get me in, in Tromso because the airport was so small that they didn't have the capacity to, um, like a wide enough airplane, um, to get a person with a wheelchair on because I couldn't walk. Um, and, you know, it like even after the fall happened, it wasn't until day five that I was, you know, in the hospital and able to even like sit up in the side of my bed. Um, and so it's just, it was, you know, I went from the peak of fitness to not even being able to bathe myself, to even feed myself because both of my wrists were broken. Um, I had an external fixation. So that's like metal, like popping out of one wrist. Um, and, you know, not like I couldn't use a walker because I had broken both both feet and twisted the ankle severely. Um, and on one foot, um, it actually this diagnosis was missed in Norway. It wasn't until I saw a foot specialist here in the United States. Um, that's where I was, you know, kind of diagnosed with this ligament injury that was one of the most devastating injuries um, to my running career. Um, that was this Liz Franck injury where I basically had ruptured the, the uh, Liz Franck ligament, which is like this bridging ligament that goes kind of across the midfoot and bridges the arch and all these important metatarsals that need to be aligned perfectly in order to run. Um, and I had a pretty severe Liz Franck fracture. Um, and that doctor, that podiatrist said that this is a career ending injury that like you might be able to jog recreationally. Um, but the elite racing was, was like not in my future. Um, and I needed surgery like the next day. So she had like dropped all of this on me once I finally had, you know, gotten home. Um, so yeah, my injuries were incredibly, um, incredibly severe. Um, and like, you know, <laughs> it's, if, if you do with one in, aside from like a broken arm, maybe you can like run with a broken arm, maybe not on trails, but um, <laughs> uh, aside from, from those, every single individual injury was a challenge to deal with. But, you know, the combination of all those injuries, it's uh, it almost, you know, seemed um, impossible. And what was your mental state like initially once you realized the severity of it? And then how did that kind of progress in, in the coming weeks and months? 
Yeah, and I think that's um, that's really the hardest part of injuries. Um, it's and it persists for longer than you know the injury itself. Like your body, your body is an amazing organism. It will heal. It knows what to do. I mean, healing takes place. Like even the day after my accident, my body was healing. You know, it 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 was trying to repair the damage that was done. Um, but mentally, um, I don't think that injury really took root until you know a week later, where you know after a week I was like. I, I can't walk, I can't move. And, and I had no idea the timeline, um, that it would, you know, it would take. And so that's like when, you know, depression kind of starts sinking in and, um, you know, this, it's, it's very hard to describe in words. I mean, I tried to do it in, in my book to really describe the, the, the mental low that I was experiencing, um, you know, on a daily basis. Um, and that was something that persisted for months, you know, upwards of six months a year where I was living in this body where I didn't feel like I was myself and, um, kind of going through the motions, um, emotionally, but also, you know, like trying to heal my body and, um, you know, stay positive in some way. Um, for me, I'm I'm definitely a very genuine person, so um, I express my emotions genuinely. That it's not to be confused with like, you know, always happy. Uh, I I can genuinely genuinely express when I'm pissed off or um, sad or you know upset completely you know, in this state of hopelessness and helplessness. And that was definitely my reality for, um, you know, the better part of six months. And, um, but something that really helped me is that although I was still experiencing this deep sadness from being separated from something I loved and this confusion of my future from a career standpoint, but also from just an enjoyment of life, uh, you know, living with an injury and not sure if I was going to be able to, to move my body in a way that I wanted to again. Um, simultaneously, there was this hope. And even though it was, it's kind of like I was on a roller coaster every day and I hate roller coasters, but that was, that was my reality. And it consisted of these, these highs and lows where I would experience this, this hope and this purpose that, okay, like if I just show up to the PT gym, if I just do these, you know, stupid band exercises, um, you know, this, these, these seemingly pointless, you know, PT exercises, then this will add up to success somehow. And, um, but then, you know, maybe 30 minutes later, I'd be so dejected and so, just helpless. And I, I'd, I'd lose this hope. Um, but then I would, you know, I would still kind of, I would live my life from almost like hour to hour trying to, you know, jump through these, these hoops in my brain that would, you know, that would keep on, you know, sometimes the reality of the situation would just cause me to be so depressed and sad, right? Like I would have this, this, this hope that, okay, like I did my PT exercises, this is great. And then I'd go to try to like, cook myself a meal, but, you know, I couldn't because I, I couldn't lift anything with my arms or, you know, I had to call for help to, to do these simple mundane tasks. And that would make me feel, you know, like 
how in the world am I supposed to run again if I if I can't even do this for myself? And so, you know, it got better over time. But something that I did was that on those little like moments of hope that I had is to really like I would write things down. I would write affirmations down. I would try to foster this positive um, source um, in my in my mind. And I'd write it down. I'd put it on paper so that when I experienced those low moments again, I could go back and I could read this and I could say, no, Hillary, this isn't your reality. Like it might seem this way right now, but you will get through this. And um, it's probably the hardest thing that I've done. And, um, you know, it's, it, it's on a continuum, right? I mean, that's something that I had to continue to do. And, um, it's something that I've had to continue to do even, you know, four years later, uh, after experiencing other injuries and other setbacks. Um, so I think it's like that practice that I learned, um, is something that I've been able to apply to my life, you know, years down the road. And that leads to so many different questions, I think, of, of how you did all that. And I think you do explain it really, really well in the book. Mm-hmm. But I suppose one of the first things is that initial sense of, of who are you, um, that identity, because most runners, uh, being a runner is a big part of, of who we are. And at this point, you're told maybe you won't even get to do that again, never mind in the moment, you, you're not even close to it. So how did your your mental image of yourself change at that point? And how did you uh, kind of keep that positive to any degree? That's the hardest part of injury. Um, and I think of any, any life change, right? I think many of us define ourselves, um, by, you know, the thing that we do, right. Um, I, I certainly did and, and I do, um, but I think that there can be room for, for other things. And, and for me, it was the silver lining that came out of the injury that I got to choose how I define myself. And I think the danger, at least, at least for me, um, when I, when I saw myself as just a runner and just as a professional athlete, um, and this, this can happen for anyone, no matter what level of, of competition you're at, um, it, it can turn into this almost conditional acceptance of yourself. Um, that you're only as good as your last results. You're only as good as your last workout, your last whatever, how many miles you ran that day. And um, I had certainly fallen into that. And what I had to change was accepting myself for who I was, regardless of if I could run or if I couldn't. And that is incredibly hard because it's something I love to do. And it's something that I feel like makes me the best version of myself. But I do think that those two things can exist together and can complement each other and not get in the way. Um, and, and that is still loving to run and still, you know, getting a huge amount of satisfaction and um, gratification. And you can still, you know, that's part of your identity, but it doesn't define your whole self-worth. And it seems like you channeled a lot of that energy into other things as well. So it wasn't just into um, rehab, but then as soon as you're able to do some exercise, you're able to do cycling. And I know that's become a really important thing for you now. So that yeah. that's a pretty big lesson there. Is if all that energy and all that uh, time that you would normally put into the thing that you now can't do if you're injured, what else can give you similar uh, feelings to that? It, we're both coaches. That's one thing that I find is, is massively um, encouraging. If I have an injury... 
I can still be doing running stuff. It's maybe not my legs moving, but it's other people's legs moving. So it's, it's still it's finding ways to to get some of those same um, levels of enjoyment in other ways. So with the cycling, you've kept that up. I know you do a lot of cycling, <laughs> you do cycling races now as well. So um, was that were you able to return to cycling before running? Yeah, so that's a and and that's another silver lining that I discovered. Um, I think it's it's so funny because a lot of my cyclists cycling friends are like, oh yeah, like you runners, like you always become cyclists in the end. I'm like, mm, I'm still gonna be be running, <laughs> but it was something that I really um, that I really enjoyed. And actually, I didn't discover, I didn't really lean into cycling until um, 18 months or two years after that initial injury. Um, and that was because I got this other injury that was related from the fall. Um, I broke my ankle, um, kind of on that same side that I had fractured that ligament in my foot. Um, and it was incredible. So that's like when I really, when I found cycling, it was in the winter time. And so I couldn't really ride outside, but I could ride on a trainer inside and then, um, you know, strap my foot to this flat pedal. <laughs> and then I would like started to, you know, actually get my foot into a, you know, clipped in shoe. Um, and then, you know, start to build myself up. I really geeked out on the whole word world of like watts and you know ftp and all of this stuff it really influenced um how i saw myself as an athlete but also how i coach other runners and um you know the possibilities of endurance sports and actually what it means to be to be an athlete and not just pigeonhole yourself into one genre um and it's actually, I saw how it made me a, a much better runner um, from a mental standpoint, because I could walk away from running and do these things that just, you know, fed my soul. And I didn't have the, the, um, the pressure to be an elite cyclist. I was just doing this thing for fun. And, um, and then really leaning into kind of the, the ultra endurance bike events that fed my soul in a completely different way. It opened up my mind to this whole different multi-sport activities, um, you know, FKTs. Um, it changed how I trained, trained, and it can, it continues to, to shape how I train today. Um, and I think, I think it's, it's, um, it's made me a much better runner and a much, um, more balanced athlete because I can actually take an off season, um, from running. Um, and that was a huge silver lining that I found. Um, and you know, it's definitely been, it's, it's so crazy how, um, you know, some, some of the advice that I give some of my, my athletes who I coach, you know, they're, they're all runners, um, you know, but we they're they're experiencing a you know a little a little niggle and I'm like okay um do you have a bike can you do that and how does this feel on a bike and you know that can give you a lot of information about kind of the the source of the injury what type of injury it is and kind of how you can either train around it or like give it a rest um so that was actually a call that I had this morning with one of my athletes and he's like yeah it hurts when I'm running but it doesn't hurt when I'm cycling I'm like Okay, but you know, I'm not I'm not a medical professional, but that gives me a lot of information as a coach to kind of help guide him through this. No, I mean, it sounds like your relationship with running and athletics in general has matured and got better in many ways. So, do you feel like it's a healthier relationship you have now with running, having had to go through this and really reassess your kind of core principles and and things that matter to you? Yeah, and it really has. I think 
as a runner and especially an ultra endurance runner, I was falling into the trap that more is better. And, um, you know, as an, as a elite runner who I have a flexible job. So the time that I can devote to training is maybe more, um, you know, I'm not, but then, you know, you, you also express these other, you get to these other limitations. So like after my injuries, I was now structurally limited. I couldn't just run as many miles as I wanted in the mountains and just expect my body to hold up. Um, I had to approach it differently. And I had to view training as more as not just of this abuse of the body, but this more, um, you know, well-rounded and holistic approach. And that involved time in the gym, strength training that involved a lot of time, you know, soft tissue work, recovery that involved a sport like cycling that is a lot more forgiving on the body. Um, and all of that led to this holistic approach, um, in the mental approach and the mental side of training. Um, another thing that I touch on, you know, kind of in the book, but it was a huge part of my recovery is the mental side. And I had this huge trauma and, um, I couldn't just ignore it. I couldn't just go back to it. It's not like, you know, I, you know, twisted my ankle or, you know, had some, you know, an IT, I, you know, IT band flare up, you know, I, I, and then I, once I was healed, I could just go back to running and couldn't think about it. Literally when I first started running again, my brain was, was, you know, telling me that like, oh my gosh, Hillary, that don't fall, don't fall. Like, you know, I, that was on repeat on this, like, gravel path that I first ran on that kind of situation. Absolutely. And I think I've, I've actually talked to many runners who even have had that, the kind of PTSD after rolling their ankle and then they, they're timid on the downhill again. And I think that's less of like your body's not healed, but it's more of a mental block that you have because your body's trying to protect you and your mind is trying to protect you. And I had to tackle all of the physical rehab, but really the most important work that I did was on the mental rehab. And I think, um, you know, embracing other sports and becoming a more well-rounded runner, um, from how I was training also contributed to that, that mental side of things. Um, but I also, you know, I started working with multiple therapists, like to work through kind of the trauma and worked with, you know, sports psychiatrists, psychologists to um, help me define who I was, uh, you know, in the space of running, but more importantly, outside of that space. And how did that kind of progress? I mean, is, is it like any therapy where you, uh, you know, you don't get a breakthrough in one session? It, it's it's really trying to get to the root causes of things. And, and uh, I know most people would say that therapy is good for anyone, uh, but certainly in a situation like this, it must be incredibly useful. Did, did it help you to just um, stay more positive and be able to just day-to-day cope with non-running stuff as well? Yeah, and I think um, it was so cool because I got to learn also the parallels of how you know I could use running as kind of a metaphor. Um, I'm someone who's not very good at, you know, meditation, you know, just like sitting still, still and like thinking about things. If I do that, I'm like usually making a list or, you know, running is the time where I can kind of work through a lot of things in my mind. And I feel like that's where a lot of other runners are, do that as well. Um, 
and I can kind of get some pushback from other, from runners um, that I coach because they they don't want to rest. And, but I think actually rest, um, this is one of the big things that I worked on, um, you know, with, with the sports psychologist and, you know, just like, a, you know, a therapist is that, you know, it's, it's not always movement that is training. It's also the times that you spend, um, you know, not training and not moving that you can learn a lot about yourself and you can work through all of these, you know, mental blocks. And, um, those are opportunities to, to, to practice positive thought. And, um, you know, these, you know, like for me, it was affirmations, like writing things down and, and reading them when I would, you know, encounter a tough moment in life, but then also a tough moment in a race, you know, like how I, how, you know, it was parallels for me was, you know, during a race, if you experience a really low moment, what do you do? And, and for me, it was always, I would say this mantra, just like one step at a time, like do what you can in this moment to help problem solve your way out of this low moment. And then you will, you know, kind of get out of it. And even if, you know, you hit another low moment again, you problem solve in that moment, you just like stay present and work through it. Um, and so I had to take that analogy into, you know, my daily life as I was recovering from these injuries, but also, you know, and, you know, just encountering tough moments in life. And I feel like there's a ton of parallels um, and they're, you know, they're important. I feel like as a coach, half the time, I feel like um, it's one of the reasons why I love it so much, too, is because you're not I feel like I'm I'm. Of course, I'm training someone to be physically fit and prepared for a race, but it's more so about treating like the whole athlete. It's, you know, it were, we talk about so many things that go into, you know, life stress, training stress. Um, And it's not like, you know, almost like a mini therapy session because I feel like running can, can be that way. But I think, you know, that's, that's what it's all about for me. And I feel like there's so many parallels. Um, it's just one of the reasons that I I love running so much, but I also just love coaching so much because there's these overlaps that I feel like make us a better people on a whole. Yeah. I I completely agree. I think running and racing is a big metaphor for other things in life, like the ability to cope with adversity, cope with things not going as you, as planned, like anything difficult in life will be like that jobs, relationships, whatever. Um, and that ability to work out and, and separate, uh, the emotional side from the things you can control and, uh, very difficult things to do, I think, but, but essentially you can practice that in a kind of simpler environment with racing than with other stuff in life where you say, okay, well, I'll, the things I can control, I will optimize and the things that I can't control, I will adapt to or I'll let it go. You know, like the weather on race day, perfect example. Can't control that. You can control what gear you use and your outlook towards it, but the weather will be what the weather will be. And if you stress about, oh, but I wanted perfect weather for my PR, then that doesn't get you the PR. It just causes stress and, and probably causes things to go wrong. But that, that metaphor for life, I think, is completely true. But it, it's so difficult to do that in practice, uh, especially with something major like this. So one thing I was thinking about in your situation was you obviously gained a lot of toughness and a lot of experience from racing, but how much of that helped you in the day-to-day, like when you're doing PT work and it seems like each day you're not making progress or it's so minuscule you can't tell? Because uh, you talk about this in the book that it's very frustrating and, and um causes depression as well that it feels like you're going nowhere so did you find that that race mentality helped you in that situation or did you have to get a whole load of new tools to to deal with it 
Yeah. So this is the interesting part is because going through all of these, these injuries, um, I didn't think, I didn't know if it was possible. I'm, I'm a very, I mean, I'm a scientist by training. And so I, I, you know, I like the scientific method. I have a hypothesis and a question and I have the tools and I will use those tools to find an answer. But during this, it's, I had no idea because I can't literally look inside my foot and see if it's healed. You know, I, I was just like going off a of feel and then one day it would feel great. And the next day it would feel like crap. And so it was, it was so incredibly difficult. And so I didn't have like kind of a linear line or progression to like, or something to compare it to, to know if I was doing a good job. Um, but the, so it was very, it was very hard, right. To, cause I feel like in a race, it is a little bit more, um, it is scientific. Like if something's not working, you like from a nutrition standpoint, you try something else. Or, you know, if you feel bad going at a certain pace uphill, you slow down a little bit. There's kind of a little bit of a, of a you see. It's a simpler feedback mechanism. Yeah. Exactly. You, you see the change for like the stimulus that you're applying. Um, but for recovery, it was a little bit different. So it wasn't kind of a linear metaphor, but the coolest thing about it was that I, I felt like I was discovering these strengths that I had and I was redefining what strength meant. Sometimes having the strength to sit back and take a rest day when you want to keep pushing through, but your body's telling you that something's hurting, you know, that can be strong to have, to have the ability to, to recognize that instead of just pushing through. Um, and so I used a bunch of the tools that I would use, um, you know, in a race or in, you know, running, but it was, it was just with this, this, this nuance, right. And it was really important because I've taken this with me into, um, into my training now. So that really being in tune with what my body is telling me and being able to, you know, communicate that with my coach to say, Hey, I'm experiencing this. Like, can we change things a little bit here? Um, and, um, whether that's, you know, a training day, a workout or, you know, knowing what I need, um, if that means I need a break, um, you know, mentally from something, if I have the motivation, um, to train for this race or if I'm training too much. Um, and I think that, I mean, all of these things definitely apply, but going through an injury, it's, you know, you have to, it's, it's more of an engagement in kind of mind and feeling and like learning, um, learning how to interpret, um, you know, kind of that gut feeling, um, and kind of the, the intuition that's actually really important, um, for an athlete to have. Um, but I like to think about, you know, injuries are an opportunity for people to discover, you know, what they're made of. Um, you know, you don't really know how fast you can run unless you try. You don't know what you can get through unless you try. And I think that the impossibility of my situation of not knowing if I would run again or, you know, recover from these injuries um, from a mental state, but also a physical state, um, I had to try. I had to give myself that chance. And during that chance, I had this incredible opportunity to learn about myself and learn what I could actually do and what I was capable of. And I feel like everyone has that opportunity through injury or any kind of setback. Well, exactly. It's like it 
is to some degree an opportunity. Every time something negative happens in a race or in life or with an injury, it's also an opportunity of what can you get out of this? So you clearly gained uh, a lot of mental tools. You got a different outlook on life and outlook on exercise, uh, all things that are super useful for you and also as a coach, invaluable. So I think that's a really good takeaway for people is just when something goes wrong, don't just think about the negatives about it, but what, what are the positives potentially? I mean, it seems crazy to think there are positives out of having such a horrific fall, but you gained strength. You got to know yourself better. You you did gain a lot of, of valuable life insights to, to kind of progress as a human, basically. So not that that's the aim, but whenever something <laughs> negative happens, there's, there's usually some silver lining in there. And another one of them, like you said, the fact that you now bike a lot, uh, that you love... <laughs> Uh, even doing races with that, which you probably wouldn't have done otherwise. No. And also having, you know, having the courage, I feel like I'd put a lot of pressure on myself to only, you know, perform, um, you know, in, in one way. And if I couldn't perform at the elite level in this, in this other endurance sport, then, you know, what was the point or who, who was I? Um, and it's, it's ironically, it's given me this, um, you know, I'm back to racing and, I've had some incredible performances done the longest race race that I've ever done some of the longest training runs and you know training cycles that I've ever been able to complete in my entire athletic career post accident and post all these other injuries um, and just and, to point out to people that one less than one year after that race you won Cortina so that's a 50k in Italy in the mountains so mm -hmm. it, it just from everything you've described there, I think people would assume it's a multi-year process to getting back to doing one step of running. Uh, and not that it wasn't an insanely difficult process, but even within one year, you were able to race at a, an elite level. That, that I think, is mind-blowing. I wouldn't expect that from, from other people if they have an injury, but it's, um, it's inspiring to know that that kind of thing's possible. If you put the work in, you believe in yourself, you don't give in. Um, you never know where it can lead to. And, and luckily for yourself, it, it's got you back basically to the absolute top level again. <laughs> and I think, yeah, there's an important piece in there too, is because I didn't, you know, I didn't know if that was possible in that relatively short amount of time. But again, you know, I was in the gym for two to three hours a day doing PT work, doing everything I could to, you know, to try to get back because this was something that I really wanted, wanted to see if I could give myself a shot. And that really the, 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 the most ironic part about all of this is yes, I've come back to the elite level sport. Um, and I think, yes, it was because of the work, but it was also because of this mental, this mental piece that I had that it was almost, it was not that I didn't care because I did care so much but I wasn't going to love myself any less or any more or think of myself any differently if I did that race like Cortina and I didn't win. So it's given me this ability to step on a start line and be so thankful that I'm able to be on that start line, you know, injury free that I put in the work that that race gets to be a celebration of that. And no matter what happens, that I'm going to be, I'm going to be myself at the end of it. And I'm going to be content. And that ability to kind of not put the pressure on myself aids in my performance. It gives me kind of this, this almost this edge, but this, this, this freedom, this, you know, like, well, if, even if I finish last or I finish first, I'm, you know, going to value myself the same. And I think that is what I've been able to, one of the things I've been able to get from 
this whole injury recovery is because at the end of the day, I'm lucky to be here. I'm lucky to be running again. I'm lucky to be running at the elite level. And I'm going to, you know, run with as much heart and, you know, and guts as I can, um, no matter what, you know, it throws at me. Um, yeah. No, I completely agree. And, and you know what that says to me in like a, a very common phrase is, is that's a focus on process, not outcome. You were focused on the process and, and you hoped it would get you back to running. And, you know, best case scenario, back to elite running. But you were focused on doing the things day by day, physically and mentally to heal yourself. And that that was an end in itself because it would allow you then to be able to keep being a positive person, keep enjoying life, hopefully get back into things. First of all, cycling, then running as well. But even within the race there, what you're talking about is, is focusing on the process. You're not saying... I am defined by whether I'm on the podium or winning it or not. You're saying I'm defined by whether I can live my life the right way and enjoy training and go to the race and be within it and enjoying the the views and doing a hard effort. And I think this is what some people kind of get confused with, with that concept of process the outcome. They think it's either you're there to participate or you're there to compete. And that's really not what that means. It's that you only get to compete if you do the right process. Uh, and that's exactly what you you kind of showed with that example, I think. I love that because, uh, I mean, I don't think I had this appreciation for the process before I was injured. And I've discovered that I love it so much. Um, I'm someone that the, that loves the daily grind. You know, I feel it is like a challenge each day. I wake up with this excitement every day to train and, and sure I'm, you know, I can be tired. Um, but it's, it's having that idea is like, okay, but you're invested in the process. This is why you do this. It's the process of a training cycle to get to a race. It's the process of, you know, working with an athlete, going through the ups and lows of getting to know them and figuring out what they like, um, you know, how to best train them and prepare them for a race. It's something that I've really learned to value. And I think it's one of the most important things. I mean, you know, some athletes like they're, they're like, oh, like, okay, well, what, what is the point of, you know, of training? What's the secret? Like, what's the workout that I need to do? And I'm like, it's actually the consistency that you need to do on, you know, the date, the daily grind, including rest, um, you know, that gets you to this, to this place. And it's extremely satisfying. I mean, one of the, th I, I think about this thing of, I write about it in the book and I'm not sure if I got it right, but it is how I think about it is you can achieve it, not attain it. And I think about it with the race. You know, when I cross the finish line, everyone is thinking about this, like you cross the finish line, you get the podium. It's this thing, this, this, this success, this, um, prize that you can attain and you can hold on to it and, you know, cuddle with it at night. And for me, it's, it's this whole process of achievement that, that's what you can hold on to. That's what you can go and like reminisce about, you know, like through the ups and downs of the race or a training cycle. And that to me is far more important than attaining, you know, like this, this medal or prize or, you know, whatever it is that you want to hold on to so tightly that you lose sight of, you know, what you're actually doing. No, I completely agree with that as well. I think I've spoken to so many elite level uh, athletes, particularly runners, and, and I think both of us would agree that maybe our best memories from racing are not the biggest win we ever had. Or for, for other people, you know, the day you got your PR in the marathon, that is not necessarily the thing that makes you think, well, everything else was worth it. That's all that matters. That one moment, and I'll treasure it for every second of my life. It's the rest of it. 
it's how did you get there? It's that really good training block where you're just feeling awesome on some runs. And uh, that point at mile 20 of the marathon where you're, like, you're, you're moving well and going, this feels good, rather than the actual crossing the finish line. Uh, and again, it, it's the process. And, and, and I think what, what you're saying there is that you can't really enjoy the outcome unless you can enjoy the process as well because it doesn't have enough meaning. It, it's the example, I can't remember which coach it was that said this, but they said to, uh, they coach Olympic athletes and they said, if you and your life are not enough without that gold medal, it's not suddenly going to be enough with it. And I think that that is such an important thing for people to bear in mind. It's not like, well, okay, well, I'm an amateur, so this is really important to me. But surely if, if I were an Olympian or um, you know, in the Super Bowl or something, then that outcome would be enough. It, it never is. It's not just that that matters. Um, but do, do you feel like you've gained not just more appreciation for that, but maybe even more enjoyment from your running now? Yeah. And that's what's the best part. I mean, I think I was almost losing the joy for running when I, before I was injured, you know, uh, that conditional acceptance of myself that I was talking about, especially competing in a series where you, you know, you're competing in quick succession of these races back to back and, you know, everyone's talking about the next race or like this, this current race that you just finished and, you know, oh, she wasn't looking strong at this one. So I was just, I was kind of losing, I was losing that, that love of it just for the love. And I got to redefine and rediscover why I loved running so much, why I loved being outside, why I loved moving my body in nature. Um, and that was all because I had it all taken away and I had the opportunity for like a clean slate. Um, and I mean, it's not easy. It's not like I'm like this idyllic person who's like, you know, just super happy and grateful for every run that I have. Like, it's still really hard because every day I'm reminded of what my body went through. Um, you know, my, my body's changed from that, that accident. You know, I've had several injuries um, you know, in the years since that initial fall, uh, because my body was severely traumatized, you know, both physically and emotionally, but I'm talking physically. And, um, you know, I've had to change how I train. And certainly, yes, I love cycling. Um, but so sometimes there's days where, you know, like I can't, if, if I'm caught comparing myself to other elite runners or other runners, you know, I can't train exactly like they can. And, but then being able to tell myself that's okay because these and not not all runners do exactly the same training. There's ten different ways that you can get to being the best you can be, and right. so you're seeing that now. That maybe you're doing lower mileage, but you're still winning stuff. You're still competing. So mm -hmm. that isn't like you said. It's not you got into the mentality of more is better, and now you're realizing that that is not always the case. No, and it's it's actually really cool because you know in my athletic career I've been able to to see what led to success and something that's completely different now and it's still leading to success and so that's taught me a lot uh about myself personally but it's also sh like shifted and shaped how i can approach training from other people um and yeah i think it's 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 so important like no one person is the same um and it's like an interesting puzzle to try to figure it out but um yeah. And I think it's, but it's also, it's, it's two things. It's, you have to have the, like the emotional side of it, but then also, you know, the training, the physical side of it. And it's the merging of those two things that come together. And some, you know, it's a, uh, it's an, it's an interesting uh, challenge to, to figure out. Oh, completely. And I think it, it's, 
I think some people, especially with some of the words we've used, might be thinking, oh, it's kind of a hippie idea here. Like, <laughs> if I just hit my power numbers and my heart rate, I will have the best running career and the most fun I can. But it's it's about that maturing as a runner and mm-hmm. as an athlete, that it's not just about getting a result and that's all that matters, but also it's the only way you get results, especially consistently over time, is by having the right kind of approach that is sustainable, that is consistent, that is allowing you to be mentally and physically well enough balanced that you don't push too hard and get injured and uh, or other things or have an injury and then come back too soon because you're in a rush versus thinking, okay, well, what's the best way to do this? And you, you certainly have had to deal with more of those. I know even this year you had uh, a bit of a scare that you thought you'd broken your foot uh, at, at uh, UTMB in, in uh, France. And in the end, it, it luckily sounds like it wasn't that and that you're back to, to racing much sooner because of that. But that, that's probably a good thing just to ask about there that, as you said, you, you've got that little bit of hesitancy, that awareness of your body being a bit different. So how did that play out in, in UTMB this year where you're fit and healthy and everything's going well, but then there's a crack and it's the foot that's been injured and you're thinking, ah, I don't want to risk this. Yeah. And this is actually, um, you know, it was one of the hardest decisions I've had to make during a race. Um, so earlier this year, actually, I had I did break my foot um, and I had surgery um, to repair it. Uh, and this was related to the fall. You know, I had you know something that changed my biomechanics was kind of running in a in a in a shoe that didn't work so well, and it led to this overuse injury. Um, and it was devastating because I had to like had a sur- a surgery is not you know, that that's not what you want to do. It's it, that's a pretty um, severe um, choice to have to make. Um, and so, you know, I was completely devastated. And this was in, you know, April, early April, when I had the surgery. And, you know, I, I leaned into cycling, I was, you know, do, training a ton on the bike and, you know, lower mileage, but feeling great. Like I, I was literally five weeks off of my foot. So it was complete healing. But then getting back into movement again, it can be really tough. Um, but I had actually, you know, I'd showed up to UTMB. That's one of my, that was my main goal race for this year. And, um, I was just giving myself time to see if I could do it. And, um, I showed up to the start line feeling really strong, um, and, and ready. And, you know, my foot wasn't, you know, causing me any, any issues, any pain, you know, seeing the doctors, it was healing, um, but around the halfway point, so we there's this climb that you do, and you know, for for listeners, they can kind of like look at the UTMB course. It's a pretty iconic course. You can see where it goes. But normally, um, as you cross into Italy um, over Col de la Seng, um, you know, you've climbed this is around 35 miles, close to 40, um, and you've climbed a pretty significant amount, um, close to 3,000 meters at this point. Um, so about uh, over 10,000 feet. And, um, you, then you could either descend into Cormier or start the descent. Um, but in years past, they've done this, uh, climb over to the pyramids climb is what it's called. Um, and they hadn't done this climb in a couple of years due to bad weather, but this year was actually pretty good weather. And so we did it, but it's actually a pretty technical course aside from Col de Bonhomme. It's one of the most technical parts of the race. And, um, uh, yeah, I remember it was at night and I was feeling great, you know, move. I was in the top 10 at this point. I have it, had a, had a race plan, was in control, feeling, feeling great. Um, and 
I remember just like kind of lodging my foot in between these two rocks and there was a rock like that I didn't see that was underneath and it pushed up on my foot uh, right underneath that fourth metatarsal, which I had broken. And I felt a pop and like this really intense pinpointed pain. And I hadn't felt that when I was recovering, you know, at all. And so immediately I was just, I kind of felt the mental energy just like go out of my body. And at that exact- Especially when there's that many miles left. It's not like you're two miles from the end. There's a lot more to go through. (laughs) Exactly. And it's, you know, it's, it's not, it's less technical, you know, but it's still the back half of a hundred mile race. And at that point, you know, I, I, I just knew that I, I had to retire because I was not willing to risk um, the health, my physical health and my longevity as an athlete for one single performance. And, you know, I knew it deep down. And, you know, even though I was making that decision, um, you know, it brought, I was crying because it was really tough. But I think in years past, I would have run through it. And I think that probably would have, you know, led to a more severe injury. So having that perspective was incredible, but it was a really, really hard decision to make. And um, I'm still very proud of it. And, you know, had to take some time off, you know, a couple weeks after after the race, you know, get on the bike again, um, see the doctors, see my progression. But then now look at me, I'm about to do, you know, Madeira Island Ultra Trail. And I don't think that would have been possible had I had continued to run through it. No, it seems like there's zero doubt that was the right thing to do in that case. Uh, and, and that maturing as a runner is, again, one of the benefits of, of having gone through something so extreme. Yeah. So um, one thing I wanted to kind of finish on was um, other people who get injured and hopefully not nearly as severe uh, as what happened to you. But there's that initial sense of loss. Either they miss a race or that they very least miss running and also that effect on their identity. So what would you recommend for, for people, you know, what, what things can help them in that situation so that they can cope with that initial switch to, um, to not doing as much or having to, to recover? Yeah, so I think really first and foremost, at least for me, um, it's recognizing that you are sad. I mean, I think, I think it's okay. And I think, um, you know, in the subsequent entries that I've had after the fall, um, you know, I've been able to express that sadness, express that grief and know that the grief is actually coming from a place of love because you love something so much and you want to be doing it that it's actually okay to feel sad because you feel sad because it matters to you because it care, you care. And so first and foremost, accepting that you're sad and telling yourself that that's okay, because I think the quicker that you're able to do that, at least for me, the quicker I was able to do that, accept that, you know, that loss and and feel it, the, the, the more quickly I was able to turn it into something positive and, you know, accept that, okay, I'm sad right now, but what can I do with these feelings and, you know, invest them in a different place and know that it will lead to, you know, eventually what I want to do. And so I always encourage, um, you know, athletes or people who are going through injuries to first do that and, you know, practice that positive self-talk, like what can I do today to, you know, lead to 
where I want to go tomorrow or, you know, a couple weeks down the road. Um, and then also, you know, leaning into things that also make you feel whole. Um, you know, for me, that was, you know, eventually that was cycling, but, you know, I'm a scientist. So, you know, I would lean more into coaching. I, you know, I really like to write. So during, you know, one of my injuries, I decided to write a book. Uh, so it's like, you know, finding these other outlets that still feed um, your soul and lead to this more healthy, holistic view of um, who you are as a person outside of just a runner. I mean, I mean, one of the things you're saying there is basically the longer you deny that either you're injured or that you feel bad about being injured, the longer the process takes. It, it doesn't yeah. change anything. It just makes it worse. So right. yeah, completely accepting how you feel and what's happened and then being able to adapt to it and, and finding other things where you can channel that energy so you don't just get frustrated. And I think yeah. one of the dangers people can have is, okay, well, I can't run, so I'm going to now do... 20 hours a week of cycling, or I'm going to do five hours in the gym and this and that, and, and they max it out and cause another injury or they slow the healing. So one thing I always find is helpful to, to have as a mentality when injured is priority number one is doing movement and exercise and physical and mental things that help you heal. Mm -hmm. And priority number two, only if you achieve that, is exercise for the sake of fitness. Um, mm -hmm. Because I think people try and get away with as much exercise as they can, and usually it's over the red line of what's sustainable. Totally. And I, I actually, um, I have to use this analogy uh, with myself. I'm, I feel like I'm a very, you know, visual learner, but you can only get stronger if you rest. Like I like to think of your body as a sponge and, you know, you're absorbing all the training, which is the water, like into this big sponge. But unless you wring out the sponge every once in a while, and this is, you know, like forced rest, whether it's an injury or, you know, a, a structured off season, unless you can actually wring out the water, let the sponge dry, can you get more water in there? And that's like more training. And then you can actually see progression and get better. And so I think that's also an important thing is that, okay, well, if you get injured, well, that's your body telling you something. And maybe you need like, that's actually a good thing. Like you need, you know, a reset. Um, and for me, that's always how it's come. It's like a hard reset has come through an injury. <laughs> um, and then it's given me these opportunities to, to discover all these other things that I love and how, you know, I can define myself and yeah. So. Well, I think that's a great point to end on. Um, <laughs> really thank you for your insight there and so glad that you're back to running really well again and, uh, and good luck at Madeira. Thanks so much for having me. Cheers, Hillary. Bye. Bye. You can follow Hillary Allen on Twitter at at HillyGoatClimbs and Instagram at at HillyGoat underscore climbs. Her book is an inspiring read and is called Out and Back, A Runner's Story of Survival Against All Odds. She also coaches via my company, Sharman Ultra. And you can contact me, Ian Sharman, at sharmanultra.com or via social media uh, with the handle at Sharmanian. And let me know questions you'd like to answer in the upcoming Q&A episode with myself. Check out podiumrun.com for articles for runners of all levels too. And thanks, and see you next month.